Welcome to another episode of Regulation Tomorrow Plus, brought to you by Norton Rose Fulbright. My name is Arup Sen, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Herbst, Imogen Garner, Hannah Meakin, and Matthew Gregory, all of whom are in the financial services team in London. And today we'll be discussing the FCA's recent consultation paper, CP219, which is proposing changes to the UK MIFID's conduct and organisational requirements. So, Jonathan, perhaps we can start with you. What is the broad context of all of this? Yeah, thanks, Arup. Hello, everybody. Um, so essentially, this is the first of a few papers that the FCA is planning to issue that deal with changes to UK MIFID. Um, some of this very much reflects what the EU is doing through the quick fix. And some of this is the beginning of the UK thinking more strategically about the type of MIFID regime that is actually going to have. So this particular paper deals with two areas, one research and two uh, a little bit of, of best execution. So really on that note, perhaps over to you, Imogen, to talk about the research piece. Well, yeah, and, and I think it's really interesting that research has been one of the first sort of areas of focus for the FCA in thinking about what the UK is going to look like post-Brexit. Um, look, payment for investment research has been such a strong area of domestic focus for the FCA for a long, long time. And, you know, the UK was at the forefront of driving the MIFID II requirements in this area. So clearly it's something the UK regulator wants to get right. And so it's an obvious place to look at early on. So just in terms of what's being proposed, changes in a couple of areas. So specifically, this is all about exempting from the rules or including as a minor non-monetary benefit. So outside the scope of the rules, a number of things, research on fixed income, SME research where um, market caps below 200 million, um, some research provided by independent research providers and information that's considered to be openly available. I think Hannah, you've been looking at the fixed income angles, haven't you? Exactly. So one of the proposed exemptions is, as you say, for fixed income research, um, not actually just fixed income, but also currencies and commodities. So what we refer to as FIC. Um, the rationale for including this as a non, uh, minor non-monetary benefit is that the pricing of these transactions in FIC instruments typically doesn't take into account research services and therefore the FCA doesn't perceive the same types of risks in relation to this type of research. One of the other exemptions that you mentioned there, Imogen, is in relation to research provided by independent research providers. So these are providers that are not engaged in execution services and are not part of a financial services group that includes an investment firm that offers execution or brokerage services. Um, the, the idea here is that these firms are low risk since their research doesn't raise the same types of conflicts of interest that can, ar that can arise from firms that do both execution and research. And so that's why this is also being included as a, a, new, a new proposed exemption. And then the, the third one that I think is definitely worth mentioning is for written material that is made openly available um, to any firms that want to receive it or to the general public. Um, so what the FCA means by openly available is that there are no conditions or barriers to accessing the material. Um, so, for example, you wouldn't need to log in or sign up or uh, submit user information in order to be able to get hold of it. Um, and I think this is a really useful change because there are many providers that are willing to provide uh, some of their research materials free of charge, but have potentially been put off doing so in the past because of some of the statements in uh, MIFID 2 and the ESMA Q&As. Um, Whereas 
other others I think have already considered this to be a minor non-monetary benefit um, and so this exemption provides a bit of clarity and comfort. Hannah thanks so um, the other one that's just worth mentioning before we move on to the best X angles is SME research and this is all about trying to address an issue in the market where there's been for, for companies at that size, there's generally been a much poorer level of research coverage at that lower market cap end of the market. So what we're looking at here is, again, an exemption from the inducement rules for SME research below uh, market cap of 200 million. And then so how do you assess that? Well, you look at the threshold by reference to the 36 calendar months preceding provision of the research and this is all provided that it's offered either on a rebundle basis or for free uh, and so uh, include what you'll do is you'll include that research in the in the definition of an acceptable acceptable minor non-monetary benefit so that it's not capable of constituting an inducement under the rules Aru, back to you Thanks, Imogen. Uh, now, as you alluded to earlier, um, the consultation paper uh, does propose removing some obligations in respect of best execution reporting. Jonathan, what's the substance of these proposals and what does this mean for firms? Thanks, Aru. Well, I think it's very simple, really. Um, as many listening to this will know very well, RTS 27 and 28 requirements have caused all sorts of problems in the industry the last few years, both the aggregated information that trading venues need to make available and the top five venues information that investment firms need to make available uh, and basically they are looking to abolish those uh, very much paralleling what the EU has, is doing and uh, essentially that's it they haven't served their purpose they've caused all sorts of problems and the FCA is looking to get rid of them uh, that's not to say they don't recognize how important information is their essential line is we need to have adequate information in the market, but it needs to be the right kind of information and useful information. And in that context, there's already been, of course, a consultation on uh, flows of wholesale information, uh, and that will be dealt with separately. So in a nutshell, that's what they're doing. And I think the interesting bit is whether that leads into some of their more general proposals and what else they are going to do on um, uh, MIFID and general Brexit reform. So really, I don't know, Matt, did you want to comment on the more general picture? Thanks very much, Jonathan. Yeah, absolutely. This is a part, as you mentioned earlier, this is a part of a, a wider play here. So obviously for post onshoring, UK MIFID is spread across primary and secondary legislation, the handbook and technical standards. And really this is part and parcel of a, a wider set of reforms that we're looking to, to see over the course of this year in the capital markets framework review that the treasury uh, is on with and the reform that's likely uh, over the summer, plus a, a broader range of reforms as well. The treasury is currently considering the uh, the input from industry and from other stakeholders in connection with the the second phase of the future regulatory framework review and focusing on, on MIFID 2 and the capital markets reform which as I say is very much the FCA working hand in hand with HM Treasury there are a number of priority areas that we we can see reform in over the course of the the, the remainder of the year so market structure pre and post trade transparency for shares bonds and derivatives cost and distribution of market data and then in the commodity derivatives markets. And as I mentioned earlier, there is likely to be an, uh, a number of consultations on those over the course of the year. Um, of course, in putting those together, the Treasury and the FCA will have a mind to the trade and cooperation agreement, the possibility of 
equivalents, market access granting equivalents at some point in the future. And in that regard, it's clear from everything that the Treasury has been saying, and also from the FCA, that the reforms in the UK are really to ensure that the current requirements meet the specificity of the UK market, not to compromise high standards, but to support things like economic growth, open and competitive markets, and so on. So that's just a little bit on, on the wider context and some of what we might expect over the coming months. So uh, with that, it's back to you, Arun. Thank you, Matthew, and uh, thanks to all our speakers today. Um, if you would like more information on this consultation paper, please visit regulationtomorrow.com and search for CP219, and you'll find a fairly lengthy blog post on this, along with links uh, to the actual paper itself. Or, of course, please do reach out uh, to your normal NRF contact. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in, and we hope to catch you again soon.